I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. One afternoon, back in 2017, Philip Ingram sat down at his computer and logged on to the professional networking site, LinkedIn. I got a connection request from an individual with a, an English-sounding first name and a Southeast Asian-sounding surname. And his immediate description came out as a, a security professional based in China. He seemed to have a goodly number of connections, one or two that I was already connected to. I had a quick look at it and um, hit connect. It seemed harmless enough. And almost immediately, his new contact got in touch. Hi, my name's Robin. I might be interested in looking at some of your business services and look at your website. I said, yep, happy to help. Send me what you want and let's see if we can do things. What Philip didn't know was that LinkedIn had become the latest route for Beijing's attempts at espionage. And they were looking to recruit British military and security officials, defence contractors and civil servants to spy for them. I initially thought that there was nothing of you know, anything that would have rung my alarm bells at this connection request. It was a relatively routine request and a relatively routine profile of the sort of people that you'd see on LinkedIn. Philip's experience wasn't as unusual as you'd think. In recent years, China has increasingly been making its presence felt. China's extending its geopolitical tentacles across the rest of the world. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, how China uses LinkedIn to try to steal state secrets. Philip Ingram is a former military intelligence officer. He had a long career in the British Army, and he has been out of that now for the best part of 20 years. But he still works in the sector. That's Fiona Hamilton, the crime and security editor at The Times. And she's telling me a bit about Philip Ingram's background. He has a long history of experience in various security and intelligence areas. And he is often called upon by the private sector to write reports on issues in this area. He goes around the conference circuit, so he will interview and host military leaders and security officials. He also has a detailed profile about himself on LinkedIn, the professional networking site. And that's where our story begins, really. He was contacted one day by a gentleman 
calling himself Robin. He said he was approaching Philip on behalf of a security company in Shanghai in China, and he wanted him to write a report on the counterterrorism network in the UK. Philip said he would be open to doing some work for them, and they started exchanging messages on LinkedIn. But quite quickly, he began to smell a rat. What was the problem? Why was he worried about what he was being asked to do? Well, there were a few things. First of all, whilst Robin was talking about himself and a little bit about the company, it was very generic. And there was no information, as you might normally see, like a link to a website on Robin's LinkedIn profile, a bit more detail about the company and other contacts of people who work in the company. So that was the first issue. Philip was very clear that he was never asked for anything incredibly sensitive. It was all spoken about in vague terms. But as they began exchanging messages, Robin said to him, we'd actually like to know a little bit more about the counterterrorism network than what is open source material in the public domain. You'll know the sort of things I'm interested in, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Philip had said to him, well, should we meet in London to discuss things? And he said, no, you'd have to come to China. We'd like you to come to China, present your paper to our board. We'll pay you two and a half thousand US dollars and all flights, hotels and expenses will be covered. Philip wasn't very keen to go to China, but it was quite clear that that was the only basis it would proceed. And when did he start to worry that this sounded like state level interest? Well, quite quickly, he says he cottoned on to it. They continued to talk, but he decided ultimately it would be good to extricate himself from the situation. The long and the short of it is the LinkedIn profile was ultimately deleted. Now, LinkedIn have said they've taken responsibility for these kinds of cases, and they said they did so in this case, but they wouldn't give me more detail on that. How did you first hear about this story? What interested you about it? Well, I heard about it in a slightly uh, roundabout way. There was a bizarre story, a young man on a naval base who'd smuggled his girlfriend into the base. She'd been living with him and officials found her in the cupboard. So I rang Philip to talk about that because the suggestion was that she could have been a spy for China, which sources uh, very quickly tried to uh, reassure was not the case and said, look, she really was just staying in his bedroom and she shouldn't have been there, but she wasn't there for the Chinese. That was one of the things that he was really involved in when he was in the military. He said, look, it was ever thus, sailors and such smuggling partners onto naval bases. But there is a serious side to this and that anybody working in the military, security and other areas like that should be really aware that there are attempts to infiltrate, there are attempts to influence and there are attempts ultimately by hostile states to turn people into their agents. And he said, oh, and it, by the way, it happened to me. To find out what exactly had happened to Philip, we got in touch with him. My name's Philip Ingram. I'm a former senior British military intelligence officer. And when I commanded my battalion in Germany, I was responsible for intelligence and counterintelligence across the whole of Northwest Europe. I've been out of the army for quite some time now. And having come through a, an interesting route through business to learn about how things work in the business world into uh, the media industry, and I find myself commentating and doing a lot on intelligence matters, defence matters, security matters, and, and everything else. A former spy, um, poacher turned gamekeeper, or am I gamekeeper turned poacher? Tell me 
a bit about that, a bit about a routine request. So you are a former intelligence officer. You're on LinkedIn now. You're obviously looking for work, which is in that sort of security intelligence brief. How much information do you put on LinkedIn about your past activities? What would people know if they looked you up? Well, if they look me up, they'll see my past. Now, I've very deliberately put myself out there as a former senior military intelligence officer, a security commentator, as someone who is a former intelligence officer. But that's been very deliberate. So if I was advising people, I, I would be advising them to say that that's totally the wrong thing to do, because it will attract attention by itself. Having run counterintelligence operations, I knew what to look for if I thought I was going to be approached. And I fully expected at times to be approached. So I put it out there. And therefore, it would have been easy for the Chinese or any other nation's intelligence services to identify me and they would have me on the radar. When this Robin got in touch, what was it about his profile or about his approach to you that rang those alarm bells? What was it that made you think, this isn't a normal client? Well, when he first got in touch, nothing. It was just you know, a routine request. And like most people, I suppose I'm not particularly picky on who I'll formally connect with. But I've got thousands of connections, thousands and thousands of connections on different social media platforms. The initial request, your producer report about counterterrorism was was fine. I wanted to get some more structure to it um, and understand what it really was that he as a potential client would want. This was all a, on a conversation that was going on on LinkedIn. He started to hint towards the fact that he wanted stuff that may not necessarily be in the public domain. That was the first red flag. As soon as he said something like that, um, I went, ah, OK, right. What exactly does that mean? What is he after? It's not public. It's not something that you could find in a library. It's not something that you could find published by a government department. So in essence, it's classified. It's secret material. And he'd also asked for opinions on the morale that there was within UK counterintelligence, police uh, and other agencies and everything else. I thought this isn't just a routine business report. So I then went on and said, OK, can we sit down and have a meeting in London or somewhere in the UK so we can work out the exact requirements and I can give you um, a proper quote for it? That's when he said, no, we don't have any facilities in London. What we'll do is we'll have a conference in China. We'll fly you out and allow you to present your report as a keynote speaker as part of the conference. Red flag number two went up and I thought, OK, yes, this is definitely not kosher. I'm smelling a bit of a rat here. My theories that were going through my mind that this was Chinese National Intelligence Services, I started to come up with some thoughts in my mind to test how I could prove that that definitely was what it was. And what did you do? I said, OK, as you're asking for material that may not be in the public domain, it's not appropriate that we continue this discussion over LinkedIn. And so I suggested that we move to a secure email platform called ProtonMail. Now, ProtonMail is highly encrypted. It doesn't require personal details to go in. The level of encryption that there is with it and the way the data is looked after would make it even very difficult for a lot of the Western intelligence agencies, so GCHQ, NSA and all the rest. It would be very difficult for them to break into it. I chose that because in mainland China, it's the sort of thing that is blocked by the state. It's not routinely accessible by any normal citizens or any normal companies that are there, even if they're working in the security arena. In fact, you know, in, in some places, LinkedIn's blocked. In, in other places, different social media platforms are blocked. China has got an awful lot of control over who can say what, where, when, and over what platforms. And what surprised me enormously was, having suggested we move to that and given him an email address, it took probably about 
20 minutes, 30 minutes maximum before an email went ping into my Proton mail mailbox. The conversation continued and I thought, right, I'm just going to continue the conversation for the next few days and, and see where it goes. It's really interesting that you were trying to find out more about what, exactly what they were after, but it must have felt like a bit of a risk going down that avenue. Did you feel like you had to tell somebody you were doing this before you did, just in case it looked like you were taking part in some kind of espionage? I came at things from an intelligence perspective rather than a policing perspective. You identify someone that's coming in. What you then try and do is turn them. So you build a relationship up with that individual, find a way of uh, turning around and getting them. Instead of you working for them, they work for you. And I also knew that I couldn't be accused of doing anything like that because I'd been out of the military for quite a period of time. All my clearances had gone. I had no access to sensitive material. So even if I had fallen for him and wanted to provide it, there's no way that I could have provided him sensitive material. But he didn't know that. He was operating from China. And I decided to play him along for a little bit. And this is where, as I was playing him along, he said, when you get to China, we will pay you $2,500 for the report. And it was a promise of cash. It would be paid in cash to me in China, not transferred into a bank account. So there's the next red flag that came along. The next thing I said was, well, I haven't got the authority to just put myself on a plane, come out to China and all the rest of it. So can I please have a formal letter from your organisation asking me to formally do this, like you know, a formal request for work? And again, what surprised me was it took him ooh, less than half a day before I got a formal letter from a security company based in China with a signature on it that turned around and said, our company is contracting you today to request to produce an article on counterintelligence for UK in August. And it had a signature with no signature block on it. And that came through very quickly indeed. I did some due diligence on the company. It exists in China. However, there isn't a lot of detail behind where it is. So it's clearly a front company that had been set up by the Chinese state. Philip was now convinced this was an attempt to ensnare him. But what should he do next? I was 100% certain that it was a Chinese state approach. Um, and I remember sitting, smiling myself, going, oh, do I continue to play this with my old professional hat on and see how far I can go? Or do I recognise that there is a potential risk here and cut my losses? I decided to go in between the two and just go silent on them for a bit to see what happened. Did they try to sort of re-engage? There was continuous emails coming through and there was requests and I, I turned around and said, look, I'm really busy on a couple of other projects. Please leave me alone for a bit. Uh, and they did. This is the sort of tactic that would be used. I'm going to put this into context. All of the tactics that I'm saying that the Chinese are using, any nation around the world, if they're trying to recruit intelligence agents will be using exactly the same methodologies. So the Chinese are using it against us. The Russians are using it against us. If we can use it against them, we'll be doing exactly the same. He kept pushing me and kept trying to get a date and then put a final date in saying, look, we need you in by December. Can you please confirm that you're going to be in by December? And that's when I turned around and went, no, thank you very much indeed. You were adamant that you were going to draw the line before going out. You wouldn't have gone to China under any circumstances. What do you think would have happened if you had? As soon as I would have then gone to China, I've lost control. I'm in a, a country where it's not under the legal auspices of the UK. I can't be protected. The Chinese, therefore, can do anything that they want. And what would have happened at this stage is, again, fairly classic. 
you know, I'd have been welcomed at the airport. I'd have been taken to a very nice hotel. I'd have been booked into one of the better rooms. I'd have been looked after for the first couple of days. I'd have had someone to take me and show me the tourist site. There would have been a meeting with the boss of this company. There would have been a conference for me to present my paper. My room would have been bugged with audio and video. I'd have been watched everywhere I went. Any of my electronic devices would have been tampered with. And then they'd try and set up uh, something where they could get a hold over me, whether that be through, it's a Russian term called compromat. When I went down to the bar of an evening, you know, all of a sudden the bar would have been full of very, very attractive girls. You know, I'm a 56-year-old grey-haired old man. They'd have all come sidling up to me and, and be saying how I was the most attractive person that they'd ever come across and they wanted to know more about the West and get to know me and try and compromise me that way. Or if the Chinese thought that they weren't going to get the detail that they wanted or they thought that I'd played them in any way, they'd have engineered some arrest scenario and I'd have been taken away by the Chinese intelligence services and put through quite a difficult time. And that's where they tried to break me. Is this the sort of strategy you think China will be deploying a lot in this country? You know, presumably you're not the only person they would have targeted on, on LinkedIn. Who do you think they'll be they'll be approaching? The Chinese are after economic intelligence and military intelligence, political intelligence, it, it all works in together. It's the state wanting all of it. And a lot of their focus is trying to get an economic advantage, whether that be through acquiring intellectual property that they don't have. We know that there have been measures by Russia, China and other countries to try and steal the Oxford University AstraZeneca intellectual property behind the development of the vaccine. It is no accident that there are a very large number of Chinese students in technological and STEM courses across British universities. They're looking at anything that they can get to get an advantage from a threat to China perspective, from an understanding how the West is doing things from a, a counterintelligence perspective, from a Western military perspective. But China is extending its geopolitical tentacles across the rest of the world. So into Africa as well, that's a, that's a big area that they're interested in. And anything to do with wider global business, because it's getting that business advantage is probably one of the top collection requirements that they have for their intelligence services and they put a lot of effort into it. Tell me, when you decided to cut off all communications with Robin, did you report this to the intelligence services? Well, interestingly, and this has changed since then, but I tried to, and I tried to find a way of easily reporting it. And there wasn't an easy way of directly reporting it. And that in itself was a lesson. But I did speak to a few people that I knew who were within the organisations, uh, not just UK Intelligence Services, but, but also a, a contact I had in the FBI. So I knew the information would uh, very quickly permeate its way into uh, those desks that needed to get access to it. It's clear that your Robin's profile and anything associated with it has, has been removed. Philip's training allowed him to avoid the bear trap. But how many others are being approached by the Chinese government on LinkedIn? We'll have more in just a moment. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Is LinkedIn becoming the meeting ground of choice for spies? When Philip Ingram was approached by a mysterious Chinese contact on the networking site, was he a one-off? I asked Fiona Hamilton, the security and crime editor for The Times. This particular attempt happened in 2017. Now that year, the German intelligence agency, an official there, had said they believed that up to 10,000 people had been contacted on LinkedIn specifically by Chinese intelligence officers. There was a case last year. A CIA officer ended up being jailed in the U.S. for 20 years for spying for China, and it transpired that he was originally contacted on LinkedIn by someone purporting. To be a recruiter, they contacted him and had success in turning him because he had a significant amount of debt, and so he was incentivized to get involved in this and betray his country. And he sold secrets to China. But what really ended up galvanizing me was the fact that I found out that the Center for the Protection of National Infrastructure is launching a public campaign next month. To raise awareness about this very issue, the campaign is going to be called "Think Before You Link," and it's really aimed at people in the private sector with access to significant, sensitive intellectual property information, to people working in technology, to military, civil servants, security contractors, people working in areas of defence, to highlight to them that this is an issue. They should all be alive to the fact that they might be vulnerable to this sort of thing. Alerting people to the risk and raising awareness of the methods being used is an important tool in the armory. But what else should the government do to thwart attempts at espionage? The government at the moment is looking at overhauling espionage law. We're expecting something in the Commons later in the year because the Official Secrets Act has been described by the former head of MI5 as, as dusty and and not really fit for purpose. The types of people that might travel to China and give away a bit of information that is dangerous to Britain's interests are virtually impossible to prosecute. 
unless they catch you red-handed handing over top-secret intelligence documents, you will not be prosecuted under the Official Secrets Act. And so there is a huge movement in place to try and overturn that and improve it. We're talking about Cold War tactics that are completely out of date, but that's what the law was focused on when it was written. In a way, the internet has just made intelligence gathering so much easier. I mean, in the old days, it's quite hard to sort of approach people discreetly. And now it's sort of opened the world up in a way. In a case like this, somebody can contact people with previously high-level security clearance from the comfort of their home or their office in China or Russia or North Korea. The internet has presented a wide array of options for, for spies that were never available previously. The idea that you have to come to Britain, offer brown envelopes full of cash to lure someone into your web is, is really a thing of the past. LinkedIn did give some very interesting figures on this. In January to June last year, they stopped 33.7 million fake accounts at registration. They say they work proactively to take action against bad actors. They look out for signs of state-sponsored activity and they remove fake accounts if they're approached by, say, the British authorities. The world, unfortunately, is, instead of coming together, is fracturing into more nationalistic-focused uh, individual little countries and away from power blocks. That's Philip Ingram again. And as we're starting to see that fracturing going on, the, there are some countries around the world that want to stick a knife in the crack in that fracture and wiggle it and see if they can make it fall apart, as everyone else is trying to focus on domestic issues very quickly rather than wider geopolitical issues. And we're already seeing countries trying to exploit the vacuum that's left by the fact that people are focusing inwards, not outwards. And with China, there's a massive business um, investment and increase across um, Africa. There's a lot of rhetoric going around in the South China Seas around the Paracel and the Spratly Islands. Russia, we saw taking over Crimea. We've seen the influence that there is in the um, eastern part of Ukraine. We've seen the way that the Russian state is dealing with opposition movement and the, the poisoning with Novichok of um, Alexei Navalny. And unfortunately, I think we're in an increasingly unstable world. It's getting worse. Amid that backdrop of global instability, are relations with China in particular becoming more fraught? I asked a long-term China watcher, Isabel Hilton. I'm a writer and broadcaster, journalist. Isabel has closely followed events in China for five decades. Are efforts to spy on Britain becoming more aggressive than ever before? There's a massive espionage effort on China's part, and it ranges from digital attacks, you know, mostly industrial espionage, to be fair, looking for trade secrets, looking for intellectual property, you know, very, very well documented and going back quite a long way. And then there is the influence effort, which consists of trying to recruit people who will, as it were, speak the Chinese position. So influence British politics or the politics of whichever country it happens to be. Australia has been particularly vulnerable to that. And then there's the whole question of Chinese nationals abroad. And that's a very sensitive issue. Um, there are hundreds of thousands of, of overseas Chinese who have gone to study or to work abroad. And there is a real risk that they will come under 
suspicion by host governments, largely because the Chinese government has, has essentially said any Chinese has a primary duty to help the motherland. And in terms of the espionage, do we know what they're after? You sort of mentioned industrial espionage. We know that intellectual property is a big issue with China, but also we know that a lot of big Chinese companies, particularly when it comes to energy or telecoms, are trying to make their presence felt in Britain. What else should people be aware of? Chinese espionage efforts have been chronicled pretty much across a very wide range. So biotech, for example, if you look at any of the advanced technologies, China is interested in establishing a position. And in some cases, that is through rather illegitimate methods. As far as the general espionage goes, so that would be probing security systems, for example, or one notorious case in the United States where there was a massive theft of data concerning state employees. That is obviously an intelligence operation which is aimed in the long run at leveraging that information to recruit spies or agents. There was a case of a, of a US student who was invited to China for research, he was given a scholarship, and who eventually found himself working for Chinese intelligence, sent back to the United States and arrested for espionage. So, you know, there is a certain amount of that kind of recruitment that goes on. And then there will be the state efforts, which are to do, as I say, with probing security systems, finding vulnerabilities that might be useful in case of hostilities. So I think probably if we're looking at what is particular about Chinese intelligence, I would largely look at the industrial sector. When we do see cases like this rising, you know, the, the LinkedIn approach and the obvious attempts to try to get information, is this a sign of worsening relations? Was it just ever thus? Is this just the way they operate? I tend to think it was ever thus. I mean, Chinese approach to social media in the West, that game has really sharpened up recently. I mean, the irony is that Western social media are, of course, blocked in China. So, you know, Chinese have their own and Twitter is banned and Facebook is banned. None of these are permitted inside China. But but in the last five years, Chinese operations on those media outside China have become have become very pervasive and very active. So there are hundreds of bots who, as soon as you say something negative about China, you know, you get this kind of wave of attacks. And if you check where it's coming from, you'll find all these accounts which have been in existence for about two months, who are following 300 people and who are followed by two. You know, I mean, you know, it's not hard to tell, you know, that these are not um, not outraged citizens. So there's that kind of trying to shut down negative views of China. It does feel like things have really deteriorated over the last year or so. What's your vision for how things might unfold in the future? I think things are really quite difficult now, partly because we seem to be locked into a, a real strategic competition between China and the United States. And that is going to make life awkward for all the smaller players. The European Union 18 months ago produced a strategy paper on China, which defined China both as a partner, but also as a strategic competitor. And that is the dilemma that I think everybody has to come to terms with. China is simultaneously the world's second largest economy and the biggest trading partner of most of the countries in the United Nations and a strategic competitor. Both China and the United States are going to lean on smaller countries to recruit them into their camp. And that's the particular difficulty 
for the United Kingdom being outside the European Union, because when you're dealing with something as large as China, there is real safety in numbers. So China can't afford to bully the European Union too much. It has real interests at stake there. Whereas a country like the United Kingdom, where there is much less at stake for China, we should certainly be concerned. You know, we have particular interests, Hong Kong being one. We have more, you know, universal interests, the defense of values, of Western values and Western political systems. And China is certainly gunning for Western values and Western political systems quite explicitly. We really do need a strategy at this point, and it's time that government, you know, set its mind to, to devising one. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. My guests today were Fiona Hamilton, Crime and Security Editor at The Times, former British military intelligence officer Philip Ingram, and the journalist, broadcaster and long-term China watcher Isabel Hilton. The producer today was Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Poppy Damon and sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If there's any story that you'd like us to cover or if you have any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. <laughs>